to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Chris Grenzing. Chris is the founder of JAG Communities, which is a vertically integrated multifamily-focused investment firm based in Jacksonville, Florida. He started investing in real estate in 2016 by attempting to flip houses in Long Island, New York, and then he eventually came out of that and started purchasing tax deeds and finally found his footing in multifamily. Chris joint ventured on over just 100 units and then founded his own company, JAG Communities, where he owns and manages 40 units worth $3 million. So I'm really excited to learn about your background, Chris. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. So Chris, can you share a little bit more about you, who you are, and how you got started in real estate? Sure. So like it kind of mentioned, I got started in 2016. My mom and my cousin bought a flipping course through Fortune Builders. And we were trying to flip homes up in Long Island, New York, which is a very high cost of living area and just really struggled. I mean, we were doing a lot of things that probably wouldn't have been successful in that area anyway. But instead of us trying to adapt after failing for several months, probably six or seven, uh, we decided to pivot and look at other things because we just thought, even if we can make it work in New York, in Long Island specifically, we just thought we'd be fighting an uphill battle. And we were like, okay, we've already gone seven months we know the challenges, we know I have to change, but it would just be too difficult anyway. So we started learning about like out-of-state investing in different options. So we looked at flipping out-of-state, we looked at tax deeds, like you mentioned, but eventually got introduced to a guy by the name of John Cohen, who was doing multifamily investing and had formed a company called Tor Real Estate Partners. We had partnered on a couple of smaller deals on the side. So those 100 units, like you mentioned, it was a eight unit in Covington, Kentucky that we just invest, we passively invested in first. Then we co-GP'd uh, 17 units and 82 units. And while that 17 units was going on, John and his other partner, Don, were focusing on much larger properties for Toro. So 100 to 500 unit properties, 5 to $50 million. They were under contract on their third property. And I had been working a full time at the time trying to do real estate, you know, nights nice and weekends. And I kind of was sitting with John and just kind of came up that I was looking to leave. And it was just a funny world where I was working for some of the same people that he had worked for like five or six years prior in the finance world. And I just told him, you know, I would love to leave and go into real estate full time, but I don't think we're doing enough to kind of support myself. And he said, why don't you come over and work for Toro for a little bit, do it as a trial, see if you like it. And we'll see if we like it and see how that goes. So I was like, sure. So quit my job, went and worked over there. I was still doing a little bit of stuff on the side, but that kind of phased out. And I worked at Toro for about four and a half years. I was the eventually evolved into a role where I was like the head of the Florida portfolio. But while I was there, we bought about 4,000 units worth about $300 million worth of property. In Florida that I oversaw, we had about 1,000 units. And sometime last year, I decided I wanted to try. So 2019, sorry, 2020, geez, and my years mixed up. (laughs) Yeah. You'd think halfway through 2021, I would be getting it right, but no, still messing it up. You know, decided I wanted to buy my own property because I was just rolling money into deals that Toro was doing and was looking for deals, looking for deals. Originally, when COVID hit, I thought there was going to be a lot of distressed opportunities, but they're really, that never really happened in the multifamily space. But eventually found one down in Jacksonville, which is a market I really liked. We had all of our deals in, uh, in Florida. And 
as I was kind of going through the closing process, I decided to leave Toro with the goal of moving down to Florida from New York, opening up my own shop, doing the property management, the construction management in-house day one, and growing a business from there. So I moved down in November of 2020 when we purchased that first property. So it closed like November 20th. I think I moved down the next week, was managing that for a few months, and then was lucky enough to find our second property, which was 24 units in February of this year. And we were able to close on that. So right now I'm at 40 units that self-managing. I've got two people working for me part-time. And my 10-year plan is to scale to 500 million under management. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. I love that. So I want to talk a little bit about, you know, when you first got into multifamily and then you were looking to transition out of Toro and then um, founding your own company. Can you talk about like how many deals did you have to underwrite before you got to that first eight units? So are you, do you mean the eight unit back in 2016 or the 16 one that I bought in Florida? Yeah. The one in Florida. Sorry. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. I probably looked at, I seriously had offered on two properties before that, but I probably looked at, I don't know, a few dozen. Luckily, I had gotten to a a place in Florida where I can very quickly know if a deal is interesting or not, just based on, you know, location, the rent, the age of the property, the size of the units, you know, with some basic information, I can know whether it's kind of worth my time or not, or if it's something I'm interested in. I also am very specific on the types of deals I want to buy, which helps me eliminate some deals that I get and I don't have to spend a lot of time on. So really it was more than a few dozen. I mean, there was probably 40, 50, 60 deals that were sent to me, but a lot of those I knew very quickly, you know, snap of the fingers, Hey, this doesn't work because it's in this location or it's built too new. Right. So I didn't think I would get the ROI I was looking for or various other reasons. Then there's the ones that you dive into a little bit deeper and you're like, you know, I think the pricing is just a little bit too high for what I can get for rents. So pretty quickly, I know it's probably too pricey and I don't need to spend a lot of time on it. I probably seriously underwrote like 20 ish deals, give or take uh, offered on a few and then, you know, closed on the first one. And then how did this particular property come under? How did you get introduced to this particular Mm -hmm. property? Yeah. So it was a small world. There was a brokerage shop that sold Toro two deals down here in Jacksonville, Florida. And me being the lead, I knew them very well. So a company called Walker and Dunlop. And I happened to be talking to another broker in another area. And I was telling him what I was looking for, for myself. And he said, oh, you should hit up uh, this guy by the name of George. And I was like, oh, isn't he with Walker Dunlop? He said, no, he left like five, six months ago and started his own shop. And he's looking for small deals. And I just hadn't heard about it. I didn't realize he wasn't because he was the broker, my contacts partner. So we didn't really interact too much. And I didn't realize that he had left. So I called him up. We were just catching up. He obviously knew who I was, um, but we hadn't spoken much. So we were just talking about the market, what I'm doing, what Toro was doing, what he's doing and all that stuff. And probably 30, 40, 45 minutes into the conversation, kind of as we were wrapping up, he's like, hey, you know what? As we were talking, I just thought of something. I might have a deal that might make sense. This was in like June of last year. And he said, look, we were going to take it to market in like March, but then COVID hit. So the owner wanted to pull it off. He didn't want to list it, but I can reach back out and see if he would have any interest in selling because we've stopped talking. I said, yeah, I would love to. I, you know, he told me the area, the rough pricing and all that stuff. I was like, that sounds, you know, super compelling. So we reached back out. The seller said, yes, I was able to get the information. I was able to get somebody I knew down in Florida to go check it out for me. Cause back then things were crazier. Nobody was really flying. So it would have been tough to go down and they really liked it. They said really good things and just knowing all the financials, the background and having uh, purchased a deal in the same sub market, you know, just gave me a ton of confidence to put it under contract. 
Awesome. And so then from a financing perspective, was it all on you or did you have other partners help you and join you with this as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was just a large majority of it was me and then family member. I was looking for deal without investors because while I like the whole syndication model and having investors, there is something to be said for having a deal without investors, right? It's, you don't have anyone to answer to. You can make your own decisions. It's, you only have to justify them to yourself, right? You can even just say, I want to do this because I feel like it. You don't even have to say like, oh, because we'll make this percent return or this. You can say, screw it. Like it's mine. I'll do what I want, which is kind of liberating in a way and nice. And it worked out really well also because with that being basically personal capital, I had never done property management or construction management before. Being in New York, we third-party managed our deal. So we hired a third-party manager to oversee all that stuff. So I knew the financial side of that and I knew loosely how it worked and some of that, but it was always a gap in my knowledge of like the real in the weeds, um, knowing the information. So for me, I was like, okay, let me move down, not risk losing anybody else's money, except really my own and close family member and figure this stuff out. I had confidence I could do it, but it's a totally different part of the business that you've got to learn. So it actually really worked out well from that standpoint. So eventually in the future, I'll start syndicating and raising money. The second deal we did too was the same setup. It was no investors, just family money basically. And it's just been nice to kind of have those deals as a foundation in the future where you can kind of fall back on. Awesome. And so would you be able to share what you purchased that uh, the first one for? Mm -hmm. Sure. So it was 16 units. It was four quads on one parcel with a pool in the middle. They are two bedroom, one bathroom units renting for $875, not including utilities. Uh, we bought that for 73 a door. Awesome. So it was about 1.17 million. Okay. And so then like when you went to the seller, was there a lot of back and forth negotiations or did you guys had come to an agreement like pretty quickly early on? No. So, you know, he had a price and, you know, my offer was below it, but not too far below it. And I think the property had had some problems before he made a management change. So I think for him, uh, he was just looking to exit the property. And it was still during COVID when things were unknown. You know, when I first got the property, the courts were not opened back up yet in Florida. Uh, by the time we closed, they had been open. So it ended up being like a three, three and a half month, maybe even four months by the time, you know, the first email I got by the time we closed, it might've been a four month process. So a lot changed in that time. So I think part of it, he was just like, okay, like this is a good price. I mean, look, he still made a very good return. He owned that thing for five years. He did very well for himself. So I don't think he was complaining. And I think it was just like, Hey, let's just move on and that type of thing. Awesome. And then you made the decision to move from Long Island down to Florida to be in mm -hmm. the market. You know, can you talk a little bit about like what it took to make that step and make that like life-changing move down for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, in some ways it wasn't as tough for me because when I was in New York, I was living in Brooklyn when COVID hit. And then when it did hit, I moved out of the city because I was living in a very small apartment with roommates. We were all working from home and it just wasn't going to work. So I was able to go to my mom's place and stay there and work from there. And while I was there, my lease ran out. So for me, it was, I didn't have a house or a lease. I didn't have a kid's wife, girlfriend at the time. So it was really just my decision and what I wanted to do. And as I was thinking about doing it, I kind of just got to a point where I was like, what's the downside, right? I was like, if I try it and I don't like it, 
I was pretty confident I could always find another job just based on my experience, work history, my connections, things of that nature. I felt confident that, hey, if in six months I hate Florida, I hate working for myself, I hate property management, there could be changes that I could make that would better suit my lifestyle. And worst case, I could just move back to New York. I could try to find another job, probably find another job and think about it from there. So I said, really screw it. I didn't want to be 80 years old and look back and regret not doing it. So for me, it was just, I didn't really have a good reason not to do it. And I had a gut feeling that it would turn out to be something I would really enjoy doing. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And so for you, you know, how did you come across the next 36 units that you had purchased after that? Yeah. So it was kind of weird. So I've always been a big proponent that deals will find you and more deals will find you if people know what you're looking for. So when I moved to Jacksonville, probably to a slight detriment to some of like the operations for the property, like slight, because it was only a couple hours a week, but a couple hours a week, I would spend a lot of time networking. So who did I already know? It would just meeting with them again. And then every question I would ask at the end was, Hey, is there anybody that you know of in the area that you think would be good for me to meet one, two, three people, something like that. So I would just meet somebody, grab coffee, ask a recommendation and meet people, follow up, meet people, follow up, meet people. And was fortunate enough that one of the people I met was another flipper and multifamily owner and either called me or texted me and said, Hey, I've got a deal for you. Excuse me. It's not far from your other deal. I can't buy it right now because I just fired my internal property manager because she was stealing from me. So I think it would be right up your alley. So put me in contact with the guy who had the deal. It was actually kind of a little confusing because it was technically a double wholesale and it was a, the current owner had 21 buildings. Each building had four units. So a total of 84 units and a buyer had all of them under contract. So one buyer had all 21 buildings under contract, but they couldn't get the money together to do all of them. So they flipped six of those buildings to somebody else that somebody else decided, I don't want to buy them. I'm going to try to turn around and wholesale them as well. And that was the person I got put in contact with. So it was a little bit messy. There was a lot of ups and downs, but what was nice is I got introduced to the deal pretty late and they were pretty, you know, the guy was really wanted to the deal to close. Obviously everybody did. So I was able to get a little bit lower price than what I think was originally marketed for. I don't think I got it for a steal by all means. I think I've paid a fair price, but we only had three weeks to close. So I had to get some short-term financing locked up. I had to make a decision pretty quick, whether there were deals I wanted to buy. I was lucky enough that I had a full inspection report from the contract holder. And then I was also able to walk every single unit with an appraiser about a week and a half before we had to close. So 
you know, I had to make decisions pretty quickly, but I was able to get a lot of information quickly. And it came back really knowing the submarket, knowing the rents, knowing the pricing, knowing the expenses. And yeah, I might make mistakes, but overall, it just seemed like too good of a deal to pass up. And for you, of the properties that you had purchased on your own, and then as you started to close and you're starting to implement your business plan, are there any lessons or anything that you could share that you kind of wish you knew when you first started that you can take to the next properties or the next purchases or anything like that down the road? Yeah. I mean, it's tough right now. I'm still learning a lot and still figuring out what the answers are. So for me to say like, Hey, here's a lesson I learned and here's what I would do differently. I'm a lot of those things I'm still figuring out. I think I was realized I did wrong that I'm trying to do better is I wasn't quick enough to make a change when things weren't working. And I had a a supplier I was working with for like different parts for unit renovations. And it was always like, if I can just get this, or if I can just get that, it'll be smooth sailing from there. But it was anytime another problem came up, it took forever to get that problem solved. And oftentimes the, the problem wasn't even really solved or I was the one solving the problem. So I think looking back on that, and I recognize now that I probably should have been quicker to be like, hey, this isn't working, cut the cord, find somebody else. But for me, I was like, I've got so many things going on. I don't want to make a change if I don't have to, but I realized that it wasn't working. I was just hoping that it was going to work. And that doesn't really work when when you're not getting what you're looking for, for one reason or another, you know, making the change sooner rather than later prevents it from turning into a bigger problem. Cause it's just some of our unit renovations have just taken far too long. And some of that was on purpose and a learning curve, but in general just took way too long. Awesome. And so for you, Chris, what are you looking to do next? And then are you looking to stay in the Florida market or are you looking to expand? Just what is your next focus? Yeah. So because my 10-year plan is to you know scale up quite a bit, eventually it'll involve going into other markets into larger deals. But for right now, I think I have a really unique opportunity to find deals that I may have either less competition or less sophisticated competition or both for some smaller properties. So for me, I want to try to focus on, you know, sub 100 unit multifamily buildings, you know, really in the as low as 10 like the 10 to 80 unit space, you know, like sub 8 million bucks, uh because I just think there's a better opportunity for me to find better deals that make higher returns and make more money. And eventually I'm not going to want to do that, right? I'm going to want to look for 150, 200, 250 units because they're actually easier to operate, right? You have on-site staff, you have more systems, you have more sophisticated software, you know, you have better economies of scale. It's actually in some ways tougher to manage these smaller things because even today before our podcast, I didn't really get into the office until 20, 30 minutes beforehand because I was running around all morning trying to get all these little things for these unit renovations and all these little minor things that I really shouldn't have to be doing. Um, But when you have bigger properties, you can afford to hire people that do that or pay people more and you can kind of take a backseat. But that being said, I think there's a really good opportunity right now to find good returning deals in that space. So for the next couple of years, I'll probably focus just in Jacksonville, um, just on some of those smaller to midsize assets that I think will have really nice returns, less competition, and just do really well in that time period. And how has real estate investing impacted your life? Oh God, in so many ways. I mean, first off, it's letting me you know, work for myself. I recognize that I am incredibly fortunate, unlike a lot of others where I'm 29 and you know, starting my own business that owns $3 million worth of stuff 
I think very few people can say that. And even coming from a company that owned 300 million, sometimes I'm like, oh, it's only three. But I think when I take a step back, it's like, actually, it's pretty freaking cool. So you know, I think you know that's pretty incredible. I think the other thing is it's let me meet and a lot of amazing people. I think the one thing I love about the real estate investing community or environment is that almost everybody you meet has this abundance mindset where it's never, hey, let me not talk about something or let me not share how I'm doing things. I think if it was any other industry, if you had said, hey, can you share the numbers on your deal? They might've said, eh, no thanks. Where for me, it's like, I I don't care. Like I know it's just going to help somebody else because I'm getting tons of help myself. One of the other things I've done is really reach out to a lot of people that are steps ahead of me, whether it's a couple steps or several steps and pick their brain and understand like how they think about things and what are they doing and how are they doing it. And it's very rare that it's tough to get somebody on a Zoom call or a phone call. And it's very rare that somebody even says no. So I think that in itself is just one of my favorite things of just like, hey, calling somebody up and having a conversation and you know, it's not like people are trying to hide behind things or, hey, I could use help and somebody's willing to lend a hand or you're just meeting really great people and bouncing ideas off each other. That's really changed my life in a ton of different ways. And what is one thing that sets successful people apart in the real estate investing business? I think if I had to say one, probably grit, you know, just not giving up, not giving into problems because there's going to be plenty of them. I've made a bunch of money, but I've also lost money. Luckily, my wins have far outweighed my losses, but I've had you know, deals that we've closed on or deals that we've had under contract that have lost me money. I've also had deals that have underperformed what I thought. You know, I've made mistakes while doing deals, and luckily, a lot of them have not cost me a significant amount of money or time or relationships, but you know, there's constantly problems. So I think having the fortitude to just continue to work and understand the end goal and what it's going to take and not give up, I think is a trait that a lot of things need, but I think real estate investing for sure. And are there any tools or techniques that you've used that have helped you to improve your efficiency? Yeah, I love uh, monday.com. It's a task management software. There's plenty of them, you know, Asana, Notion, Trello. Um, There's a new one too. I just heard about that's supposedly pretty good, but I forget the name but I love it. I am not the best at remembering things, especially like little things. Like I'll say like, oh, I'll send this email to you and then I'll freaking forget it until somebody reminds me. But I know that if I write it down and have uh, task managements and notes and things of that, it allows me to stay organized. It's also cool because you can add people to it. There's tons of views and there's just a lot of automations, integrations. Uh, it's really great. So it, that has been really helpful. One thing that has also been helpful, but I just don't do it enough is time blocking where you sit down for 10, 15 minutes, you look at your day and you say, okay, from nine to 10, I'm doing this and 10 to 12, I'm doing this and 12 to one, I'm leaving open for phone calls and just doing that where it's like, okay, here's what I'm doing. And this is what it's going to allow me to get done. And when you do that in conjunction with all the task management stuff and your to-do list, it really helps you whittle it down and not get overwhelmed because that's one thing I always hated about to-do list or task management, it's like, okay, there's a million things I have to do. Where do I even start? Well, this kind of just helps you break it down of like, hey, here's the things you're going to get done today. And here's the things you're going to get done tomorrow. And as long as you're doing it 80% well, you know, you should be fine. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I really appreciated everything. And, you know, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and your story, Chris, where is the best place that they can reach you? For sure. So definitely social media. I'm most active on Instagram at chris.grenzig. But if you search anything, LinkedIn, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, you can find me. LinkedIn's probably the next one I'm most active on. You can check out our podcast if you want. It's called The Real Estate Investing Experience. Uh, I host it with uh, John, my old boss at Toro. We've continued to do it. So we co-host it together, which is pretty cool. Website's coming. It's still being worked on, but it'll be uh, communitiescom So that'll be up pretty soon. If anybody wants to email me, it's just chris at jag-communities.com. Awesome. Thank you so much again, Chris. You got it. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.